Stay hungry. Stay foolish. We want to thank our sponsor, Zai Boldly, transforming the future of financial services with a suite of embedded products and services, enabling businesses to manage multiple payment workflows and move funds with ease. Check out Zai at hellozai.com. Before we even begin today, I want to make a key statement. Today's book is not about women versus men. It is not even about gender. It is about celebrating the duality of the feminine and the masculine in all human beings and making sure we activate both energies to create innovation that brings true value to our world. It is a pleasure to welcome the author of Venus Genius, The Female Prescription for Innovation, Fabienne Jacquet. Bienvenue. Merci, Aiden. I really appreciate to be here on this show and hopefully uh, please the audience with my thinking. It's such a welcome book and innovation needs women. It needs feminine energy. But I thought we'd start with a question, Fabienne. And I'm going to pose this to our audience. If you have kids within earshot, maybe you'll divert their attention just for a quick moment. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a moment to divert their attention. Why should a sex toy for women be shaped like a penis? That's the question. And the answer Fabienne tells us is quite simple. I'll pass the mic over to you, Fabienne, to explain this one. Thank you very much. And I don't know if it's a brilliant introduction, but it's definitely a very provocative <laughs> statement. But it makes the point. It does make the point that the world, as I said, and you said, you mentioned that, is driven really by masculine energy and by men by definition because so far men have more masculine energy than women and it has been recognized like that but as we'll see not biologically it's more the upbringing the environment that shapes you know gender as we uh, grow up so it's the world is met by men for men through the man's lens so when it comes this example, and we have a lot of other examples in the book, to sex toys for women, men think that the only way that women can achieve pleasure is through their wonderful organ. Of course, what else? Well, they just forgot a little detail is that, and um, the kids can uh, still be away, <laughs> women have a clitoris, and this is their major way to achieve sexual pleasure. But not recognizing that, is, you know, as when you innovate, you have to understand the needs of your ultimate uh, consumers and client. And here, men think with their man's cap, and it's not um, uh, condemning them. I, I understand because they've been brought up like that, and it's obvious to them. They don't even think about it. So this is why it's so refreshing to see companies uh, like Dame Products, I mentioned, and other companies driven by women. It reminded me, Fabian, I worked in a company once, a, a media company, and the audience of this, it was for a radio station, and one of the radio stations had a very much fa female audience, and they wanted to hire a community manager to manage Facebook and Instagram, all those type of social platforms, and they were hiring men, <laughs> and I was like, why are you hi hiring a guy to speak to women, like he's He's, he, even if he's the best writer in the world, he's going to struggle to do that. You got to be you're fishing in the wrong pond. And I raise that to say it's exactly like we we're saying about the products you mentioned multiple products, we'll discover some of them today. But also the skill, 
for example, it's good to have empathy, yes, but it's even better if you're the you are the target audience who is actually developing the product. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And again, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's not men versus women. It's really this energy. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. I relate in the book how personally being brought up between two brothers, being a scientist, uh, when, you know, at that time you didn't have that many uh, girls in the science field, I had to to fight, I had to use my masculine energy. And then in the corporate world, it was the same thing. So I really was so used to function from my masculine energy that it really hurt my personal life, as I narrate in the, in the book. Um, so the, the point is really rebalancing. Wherever I say, wherever you are, I was on the masculine side, you may be on the very feminine one even if the, your gender is uh, to, be a, to be a man. So wherever we are, bal being balanced, being more centered as a human being is perfect for not only the personal life, but also the professional life. And let's share as well the, the, the challenge here, because it's taken us a long time to get to where we are in the business world, which is very unequal. And as you say, current research shows that it's going to take about another Hundred, I'm going to say 116 because the book was written about two years ago. 116 years. Oh, you really read it. <laughs> <laughs> to, to achieve gender parity, it's going to take that long. Maybe you'll tell us a little bit about this. Yes, because again, you have to go back to history. And I'm a scientist, okay? So whatever I said in the book, believe me, I did research and I love that. And by the way, nowadays, doing research with internet, what a pleasure. I did my PhD, you know, going to the library and I got this huge chemical and chemical abstract, you know, this huge book and thinking them, oh my God, it was, it was really, it was really uh, uh, another period. But anyway, so I did a lot of research. And um, the point is that innovation in the past was really driven by technology and measured by patents. So as women have been taken out of science and the universities until recently in the history, women were not exposed to science and technology. Hence, they were, you know, not into the innovation yeah. arena. So this is one reason. A second reason is that it's a, an interesting one because people think that innovation is like for rebels and adventurers. And as I say, it's not my case, uh, but a lot of girls are raised first, they are softer than men, less, advent less adventurous and so on. But the, um, the way they are brought up, boys, you know, it's normal, they fight and they are brought up to be adventurers and, and explore the world and so on, and girls to sit and be quiet and so on. So, of course, it doesn't prepare girls to be innovators. So, you know, you have a lot of historical and social reasons why women have been really out of this innovation arena. Plus, Usually, even if they were really good and so on, men were at the front and they were taking credit for women. I have in the book a lot of examples in uh, different areas. It can be science, it can be art, like female artists, you know, being behind <laughs> their male counterpart. And it's pathetic and it's sad because women can bring something different, as I say in the book, to innovation and to this world. And we need this healing female and feminine energy 
today, especially in these days of chaos and where people are depressed and don't know where to go and what to do. So I think we really need this positive healing, collaborative energy. You've had personal experience in this. You've worked in labs, you've created products. And you mentioned, for example, when a product has things like convenience and basic performance met, so there you've got them. What it really needs, and we know this more and more from marketing, is it needs emotional energy. And that's often what's lacking in a lot of products. They lack this real emotional energy that's poured into the product. And it's not just about the messaging. It's not just about the marketing of the product. It's about the product itself. And maybe you'll share your own personal example where you brought a product from ideation all the way through to the shelves. I think you are referring to the shower gel project. Yeah, and and this is a very uh, project which is very close to my heart. So we were tasked to, and I I read that in, in, in the book also, to develop a relaxing shower gel, especially for women. Okay, fine. So, of course, I was in, in R&D at that time. My uh, marketing counterpart started to say, oh, yeah, so we should have, you know, uh, visuals of a bath with candles and vanilla scent, blah, 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 blah. And, and I was like thinking, wow, this is boring, you know. Anyway. And so I say, okay, let, let's have something. Let's have brainstorming sessions with actually with women. <laughs> who <laughs> who can tell you what is really relaxing and, so and so we we were in a remote location it was great i had a multifunction team you had even legal finance uh, safety you have uh, r&d of course you had marketing you had uh, consumer insights uh, all the people who will would ultimately work on the product and launch it because it's important to have them involved from the very beginning. And you had a lot of women, but also men in in the group. And we started to brainstorm. And at one point, a lady said, well, you know what, let's be honest. What is good for me and relaxing at the end of the day is a glass of wine. And everybody laughed. And I said, don't laugh. Don't laugh because she has a very good point. So we developed a shower gel that had all the uh, Napa Valley, you know, visuals and so on. And the formula was burgundy with the little beast, like, you know, these uh, little seats and so on. And, and um, the fragrance that was very gourmand and so on. And it rated, it really, when we tested it with consumers and we tested it not only for the functional benefits that were, of course, good, but for the emotional benefits. And this product rated the highest of the category in the emotional ranking. We're very proud of that. And, and it resonated with the consumers. It had very, very good results. So it just proves that when you create a product with your emotions, starting from your own emotions, it shows it's like an artist. I was also giving the um, example that it really inspired me of this guy who was uh, inspiring us with a song and he was singing and it was about you know separation. He was sad. We were almost crying in this business environment. I said, why is it so emotional? I said, because I created this song with my emotions. So it's same thing for innovation. If you don't create it from your own emotions, why are startups successful? Because the person who starts the startup says, oh, there is a problem. And they are deeply involved and emotionally connected to this problem. Like my mother has problems with uh, finances and she doesn't find a bank uh, that really uh, listens to her needs. And then 
creating this banking for women. And so you see what I mean? So they are emotionally attached. And this is why it's successful, because it's something which is real, which is emotional, and we feel it. You feel it with authenticity. We feel as people when people really mean it. I thought, really thought about it as art. And I know art is very close to your heart because your husband is an artist. And for those people watching us on YouTube, that beautiful piece of art on the wall, that's Fabienne's husband's work. And we'll maybe share his website as well at the end on the show notes as well, Fabienne. But I was thinking about that because a few years ago now, actually, a guest on the show, Elia Marr, she mentioned that really when you're buying a piece of art today, artificial intelligence can do that art. Artificial intelligence can create it. But she asked the really killer question, what are you buying? And then she answered it as follows. You're buying the evolution of the artist from when they had the idea all the way through to delivery to the image on the canvas. And I thought that was just a beautiful way of thinking about it. And I actually think about innovation that way, just like you were saying about the products. From ideation, so many ideas get killed when they're just an idea, when they're an inkling. And it takes a lot of female energy, as we'll talk about it in a little while, particularly to nurture an idea, to bear it, to bring it into the world, is a very much female evolutionary skill at the very heart of it as well. But I want to just remind our audience, keep in mind the story that Fabienne told about the shower gel, because it's an anchor on which to hang a lot of the skills we're going to talk about later on. We'll refer back to it, we'll come back to it. But before we do, I love the story of the lady. <laughs> so think of an old lady in a shop, uh, tattered dress with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. As you'd say in France, uh, un clope dans la bouche. La clope mice. <laughs> voilà. Hanging from her bottom lip and uh, ash falling all over her, etc. And she's there in the corner knitting on a yarn. And this is a story where you use utilize how to show all the different female energy traits coming together with a person. And then we'll come back and we'll go through those traits individually. Over to you, Fabienne. When you talked about the painting and the art and so on, I think I should share the story I have in my book about my husband's paintings. Uh, so Patrick, my husband, you know, he painted and he sold uh, paintings and especially a, a friend of ours was really a fan of his. And then it happened, my husband had a lung cancer who had two years of hell and so on. And then one day he was strong enough to be able to, strong enough in his head and also his uh, physically to take the brush back and paint. And he painted this painted painting. Usually it takes two or three months. It was like done there. And he called it Him to Life. Okay. Then our friend was saying, oh, I would like to buy another paintings for Patrick. Okay, fine. So he comes here. And as usual, I lined up all the canvases around the, the, the room for him to choose and so on. And I started, I didn't even finish and he looked at this one and said, this is the one I want. And we didn't share it was the last one. We didn't share, you know, the story, the title. And I say, why? Why do you pick this one? He looked at me and said, you know what? Because I feel both hope and despair. I cried. And I say, well, and I explained to him the story. So to your point, artificial intelligence could definitely create beautiful pictures, aesthetically pleasant and so on, but it should never, at this point of the technology, it would never, ever convey the emotions that my husband had painting that painting. So I just wanted to share that because it's really building on your story about this lady talking about art. And this is emotions, again, because, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, so what? Or 
is somebody famous and this is because of the value. But having something that res resonates here, this is what art should be. Bien and joué. I didn't forget, and I didn't forget <laughs> about the story. So Actually, I wrote this book uh, in, in a program and I had co-authors and we had these weekly meetings and so on. And this lady, Anne Hogg, I, I uh, interviewed for, for the book. I was talking about feminine energy and suddenly she said, I have to share a story. So she was in Chicago and she was in an advertising agency in er very early in, uh, in her career. Okay? And then she wanted to do some creative hobby. And she said, oh, what about knitting? So she goes in her neighborhood and <laughs> pushes the door, as you nicely described, of this shop. And you have this lady, grumpy and so on, you know, as you say, with a cigarette dangling and yarning, I say, I say, what do you want? So, well, I just want, is it possible to learn how to knit? I say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just uh, buy these needles, buy things, and I will help you. And then uh, and said, okay, so I, I think I will, I will try uh, to start with, uh, with a scarf. She looked at her and said, no way. This is not the way we do it here. What what do you want to have? What is really close to your heart? I, say, ah, I don't know what I want. Say, go back home, look at the magazines, and you come back when you really, really want to knit that thing. So she comes back home and she thought of a Chanel jacket she had seen in a magazine. And of course, she couldn't afford it. And she came back with that. And the lady looks at it. Okay, fine. And she draws like that. This is how you should do it. And, so and she guided her and son. So weeks and weeks and weeks because it's not an easy task and Anne discovered that this lady had workshops so it was a shop but also ladies around were coming and she was teaching them how to knit and it was a community so it was not only you know selling something it was a community it was a, and and also the fact that this grumpy lad was so feminine as we will discover later and femininity is not linked to gender, as we already said numerous times, but it's also not linked to your look and the way you behave. Some people will say I'm masculine. Oh, you're so, so, so feminine. I say, no, you don't get it. <laughs> I'm masculine here. Let's map it now to why that actually matters, because you later on talk about it. And I just want to remind Fabienne's a scientist. So she's done the huge amount of research on this. And it's beautiful timing, Fabienne, because it comes on the back of some episodes we've done on the brain. And you talk about well, there's a difference between what gray matter and white matter does in the brain. And these have dramatic differences in how you run a project because one is about collecting dots and the other is about connecting dots. So yes, I'm a scientist, I always say, you know, I'm a doctor in chemistry. So if you get sick, the only thing I can prescribe to you is champagne. <laughs> Just to de-dramatize. But yes, I'm a scientist and, and proud of it. And, and it helps a lot in life because you analyze things and you do research and, and, and so on. And so when I decided to create my business in Oviv and, and uh, write this book, I had analyzed the skills that make a good innovator. And I really brought something. I did a lot of research and I listed everything. And then I crossed that with the skills that were labeled feminine. And then I picked six of them that I think are really important for innovation and more on the feminine side. And I wrote my little chemical formula I share in the book and on my website, which is when you have empathy, you add inclusivity, intuition, like the I2 uh, things, gratitude, and 
you catalyze all that with collaboration. You get innovation that resonates emotionally with consumers and bring you money. So this is the way for me to capture you know, all this um, and, and, and I forgot nurturing <laughs> and have also nurturing. So these six skills into a formula say it works and applying it to, for example, this lady, they are the knitting lady, or um, I also have at the end of the book a story about a, a chef, a cook who is a guy that applies exactly this formula and is very successful. Let's talk about your framework as well, because there's multitude of frameworks, the library behind me full of them. <laughs> and I love your framework, because it really focuses on two parts. And again, let's refer back to your shower gel project, because you talk about there's a front end part of innovation, and then there's the back end. So this is a very classical process. If you Google process innovation, innovation process, sorry, you will have a lot of processes and very convoluted, very complicated and so on. But most of them, and it's classical in the world of innovation, you have a front end of innovation, which is when we go from nothing to a prototype. And then the back end, where you take this prototype and develop it into a commercial solution. So a lot has been written and you have a lot of processes and so on. And, and people know that when you have a prototype, how to develop into a commercial product. This takes actually masculine energy. And this is my hypothesis, okay? That this back end, taking a prototype and scaling it up and testing it to make sure it fits, you know, all the consumers needs, and then uh, developing the, the pilot, developing at the industrial scale, supply chain and so on. Everything is very logical, focused, decision-making. This masculine energy that we all have and is necessary to spring into action and actually do something with it. However, the front end of innovation, which is basically going from nothing or an idea to the prototype, is where a lot of companies and businesses cut short because, okay, yeah, I have an idea and jumping to this prototype. So they cut that and they jump directly there. And this is how we end up with a lot of things we don't really need, to be honest, or don't even like. So when you spend more time in this front end of innovation, you develop something that is more meaningful, sustainable, and connects better to the final consumer. And this is where I developed these six skills that I think help the development of a meaningful prototype that, yeah, you spend more time up front, but it pays off afterwards. I'm going to start off the next little section with a quote, and I'm going to ask our audience, guess what the heck I'm talking about here? Is it a torture device? It goes as follows. A public health challenge doubled the number of American women going to the emergency room between 2002 and 2012, according to a BMC public health report in 2017. It causes musculoskeletal pain, venous complaints such as fatigue and heavy feeling legs, and has been found to provoke venous hypertension in the lower limbs, not to mention long term aches and pains. In the US, this practice affects 70% of women at some stage in their lives and over 40% on a daily basis. 50% of women experience daily pain from this. And yet, women continue to do it. This was fascinating. And this really emphasizes the challenge here. And as you mentioned there, and this is what provoked me to talk about it, we often have products that 
why the heck are we using them still and they dominate in a field over to you to explain this one you know the answer <laughs> i'm wearing them i'm wearing them you're wearing them yeah you know this is the beauty of zoom we don't see the bottom part so this practice is wearing high heels and i'm the first culprit because to me high heels have been part of my life i was running in these high heels my entire life and um recently i had uh, two foot surgeries the first thing my surgeon asked me did you um, wear, have you been wearing high heels? I say, yeah, of course, my entire life. You say, well, <laughs> this is it. And again, this is scientific research and it's proven that wearing high heels is not at all healthy. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big problem. So why do we do it? And why did I do it? Well, this is because, again, these social historical reasons that the story of high heels through history is absolutely fascinating. Like at the beginning, men were wearing high heels, but it was for very practical reasons. It was because, you know, they were on the horses and the hills were keeping, you know, them from sliding in the stirrups. That's why I wear them. That's why I wear them. Just so we're clear. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, stiletto don't work for that. <laughs> but then... Um, in the uh, Middle Age, actually, both men and women were wearing, you know, high heels and, and platform shoes. It was another practical reason is because the streets were full of filthy things. So to be elevated from that. But then only men wore heels like uh, the, our French king and son, because it was a sign of superiority and, uh, you know, it was only for men and son. And then suddenly it came that it was women who were wearing high heels. And the reason was because it made them look more sexy to the male gaze. And they felt more sexy. And I will go even further with high heels, you cannot really run away from a man. I'm very serious. It's all, this is so complex. And this is so grounded in this patriarchal society where women are, and women bodies are objectified and used by a man. So a famous French designer says that he creates shoes for women thinking of the man's gaze because men will have the pleasure of looking at women walking in them you cannot walk in these things this is terrible <laughs> and it gives you the this i mean like anyway <laughs> this topic is is really uh, very interesting and 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 it's so anchored again i did it and you see how I'm preaching that you have to use the feminine energy. And I did it. So it's really rooted in our society, in, in our culture, that it is the case. Now, luckily, luckily, it's evolving a lot. You have now a lot of women entrepreneurs who are creating shoes that, of course, are still sexy. We want to feel beautiful and sexy and, and well in our body, but we can walk in them, actually be comfortable. And I think this is a, a, huge, a huge progress that we can now change <laughs> that, I think. And also other things changed. Um, it was interesting in New York City that the in the shoe stores, on the floor, they were saying that women were asking for flat shoes because they wanted to be away, um, able to run fast. It was after 9-11. And then with the COVID, 
also very interesting, like we're more casual and so on, and say, why do I torture my feet? I'm far more comfortable in more comfortable shoes. So I think a lot of things made us think about it and evolve, which is good, and and it's, it's going for, for, for the better. But God, this is so, so... <laughs> anchored it just shows you how socialized we have been you know that that still prevails but you also mention in the book that you you talk about the law in carmel about the high heels as well and maybe we'll explain that because that's a practical reason but then what absolutely shook me about one third of women have to wear high heels to work they have to they were one lady you mentioned was sent home for not wearing high heels that still exists today uh, absolutely. And in 2017, at the Festival of Cannes in France, uh, the ladies couldn't go on the red carpet because they were wearing flat shoes. I know it, it, this is why I say it's evolving so slowly. It's pathetic. We should be able to to really choose what we want to walk in. And and some women love stilettos and, and fine. But if this is their choice, totally fine. We're totally free to do whatever we want. But that we have to because of the law, because of the, the, the work policies, or because men expect us to wear those high heels, this is not right. Well, let's give another example, because you, you talk here about WCI, women-centered innovation. So there's a, a massive, massive opportunity here, a, a massive untapped market. More and more women are earning more and more money slowly as as we said it's going slowly but it's happening and designing products for women by women offers a huge example a huge opportunity but let's use the example here of how the evolution of the tampon happened and what you've seen through your experience as well because originally there was a lack of technology but it was women originally innovating to create these products because they needed them. Yeah, the tampon and, uh, and, and you know, this anecdote at the NASA, it, it cracked me up because when they sent the first female astronaut um, uh, into space and the engineers, the NASA, very nicely thought of, oh, what about she has her period? So how many tampons does she need? And instead of doing what should have been done is asking women around but maybe there were not a lot of women around at that time but instead of actually women they started a very very sophisticated calculation with the flows and absorbency rates of tampons and materials and so on and come up uh, came up with okay a hundred tampons for a week which obviously is not really the right number. So it just shows that men innovating for women, they use their skills, the logical, the calculations, and so on, and they don't even you know, connect to the emotions of the, and say, practically, please, how many tampons do you use? Just as your wife, your daughter, I mean, like. So the tampon actually, again, it has been developed by men for, uh, for women. And... Um, and at the beginning, as you said, women always used whatever materials, including veg, you know, herbs or, or herbs or whatever they could find around them and, and, and pieces of cloth or whatever to use as a tampon because they had to, uh, to, to deal with, uh, with uh, this natural event that happens every month for um, all the uh, women in, in the world. And then the, this was actually a Californian woman 
who had the idea of inserting this sponge in, you know, inside instead of having the pad outside? Because for most of the history, we had these famous pads that you still had to, uh, you know, oh, it, was, it was a nightmare. But anyway, so she had the idea and she talked to a friend of, of hers who was a scientist. And of course, he developed and patented the technology <laughs> and then sold it to um, a female entrepreneur, Gertrude Stein, who, who, who is the one who created Tampax. But then it was acquired by a big company and so on. And then, so you have a lot of historians. And it's pathetic to see that until very recently, you didn't have any innovation around the tampons. And also you had this very, very strong, in some regions, in some countries, um, cultural blocks that um, in China, actually, a young lady was interviewed and she said that her boyfriend didn't want her to use tampons because this was infringing on his territory. I mean, like, it's <laughs> it's really very, yeah, again, anchored that the body of the women has to be at the service of men, which is not right. And now, again, you mentioned that a lot of women are really rethinking the way we should approach menstruation, make it more fun, make it more uh, accessible. And accessible also is a good um, a good uh, point because it has consequences. In Africa, little girls for a week, they cannot go to school. So they lack education versus the boys because... They have their period and they have nothing to protect themselves. So some women started to sell products. And for each product you buy, one is sent to a school in Africa. So this is really what I mean by innovation driven by the feminine energy, empathy, starting with empathy, empathy for those girls who cannot afford it. Um, and really thinking about the consequences and thinking long-term, which is another thing about the feminine. Men are very resource-oriented, and it has its value. But the masculine is really action. I see a problem, I act, I do it. Great. However, it's very important also to think of the long-term consequences. I often think about that in in evolutionary sense. We did a show a few years ago with a guy called Richard Wrangham, a brilliant, brilliant writer. He wrote about how discovering fire made us human because of a multitude of reasons. But the, one of the things I wanted to share was he talked about a hypothesis that, well, if you think about a man who was a hunter versus a woman who was a gatherer, also the man, Lee, were talking about that short-term focus, he went out and hunted that because he was bigger. <laughs> he, was, he was a bigger beast. And the women stayed home and looked after the tribe. And looking after the tribe needed these skills like empathy and nurturing the skills that you talk about intuition being able to spot is that somebody that's a threat to the tribe etc because they were really focused on the continuation of the species and man's job is really to hunt for the species and yes protect it but it was a more short-term more aggressive focus and it takes a long time as we know for the for evolution to kick in but before we jump into the skills, because I really want to share the skills that you've identified and your formula, I thought we'd share one last part that you talk about. So this is where Fabienne looks at challenges that exist today. Let, let's just share one. So we know cybersecurity is a massive threat. It's growing as a threat 
it, it will become more and more important as more and more devices are connected. It will become more and more important as we move into 5G, 6G, etc., whatever we don't even know yet. But I loved your point on this because I really think this, and I say this to so many young women I know who are in college, I go, study cybersecurity. It's going to be such an amazing place for you. It's going to be, it needs women in there. And you said in 2013, for example, women only made up 11% of people working in cybersecurity. And it's only grown to 20% by 2019 still far from a tapped opportunity. There's a huge potential here. I was um, in a women associations meeting and we're talking about um, the cybersecurity. And then I introduced ourselves, I introduced my company. And the lady came and said, oh my God, this is very interesting. I never thought about, you know, this feminine skills. Do you think you can write something about uh, the feminine skills for cybersecurity? I said, yeah, well, of course. And I came back home and said, oh, my God, I don't know anything about cybersecurity. So what did I do? I went on LinkedIn and I uh, looked and I did some research and, some, and I spotted um, some people, men and women especially, who were you know, uh, very um, knowledgeable in cybersecurity. And I interviewed them. And it was fascinating to me because, and also I interviewed a guy I'm, I had met in a social event in, in New York. And he had a cybersecurity uh, business. So I was so excited as I was in the books to talk to him because, oh, I will learn a lot. And so I, I say, okay, I'm writing about the feminine um, in cybersecurity. And I would be curious to interview you and, and learn and better understand. He said, are you in cybersecurity? I said, no, this is why I'm trying to understand. He said, yeah. So why, why do you talk about cybersecurity then? Let me explain something to you. You know, cybersecurity is about technology. And so it's a man's world because it's a toy and it's for boys. It's not for girls. And he left. I was, wow, this was an interview. <laughs> but luckily, I met a lot of other people and especially men uh, who were fantastic and really shared with me that they wanted really new skills in cybersecurity and that women had very specific skills that were needed. So to start with, cybersecurity is a lot about geeks, which is like these men that have this unidimensional career, they are technology, they know very well, and we need that, perfect. What he said is that when they start to hire women, women have a more diverse background. So it brings a totally new view to cybersecurity. Second, women collaborate more than men. Men are more the lonely wolf, and I will solve that on, on my own, and so on. And women will seek uh, the team um, team's input. They will talk to other people, and so on. And this also enriches the solutions, because there is not one solution. And also, very importantly, the hackers are so good now. The technologies between the hackers and the cybersecurity guys, it's equal. What makes the difference is the human creativity. And hackers are getting very creative. So having, if I tell you, you have to have empathy for the hacker. Are you kidding me, Fabian? Yes, you do. Because if you have empathy for the hacker, you would start to, you try to understand why. Why is this guy hacking? What is his motivation or her motivation? What is the motivation of the hacker or the person on the other side? And when you understand that, 
you understand better how to counteract this hacker because you understand their motivation. And the last thing, which is extremely important because it's both um, emotional and, 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 and in our head and also practical, is that most hackers are men. And men and women code differently. So for a hacker, it's more difficult to counteract something that has been written by a woman. And this is somebody who is in cybersecurity who showed that. I thought he was enlightening. I thought, yeah, this is a very interesting. And, you know, have, we need, and I, I think I, I, I give numbers in the book, we will need so many jobs, new jobs in cybersecurity, and it's not fulfilled at all. And we're cutting ourselves from 50% of the world. And on top of that, as you say, many women leave STEM because they're being forced out and science where yes. they're needed. Oh, yes, this is, this, is, this is very tough. And anyway, it was tough in my days. And I thought that today it would be better, but it's not that good. Actually, girls graduate better than, than boys. But then when they start to join the STEM world, it's so it's being so tough on, on, on women, the conditions of the work and the mentality and that they give up. And this is why you have more and more, which is a happy consequence, more and more women entrepreneurs, because they are their own bosses then, and they can realize their dreams. I thought about this a few years ago, and we're, she's coming back onto the show again, Friederike Fabricius. She's written great books on the leading brain. She talked about the brain and how when they did brain scans of leader, women leaders, their brains looked male. And she kind of poses the question, was that nature or nurture? Did they become the, into the position because they acted male? Or did they have to act male and therefore kind of the brain uh, became neuroplastic and actually changed as a result of that. And, I, and that really came to mind as I was reading your book as well, because you share your formula next. And I I really wanted to share that because it's so important to understand this. And we, we, I'd love to go through this. So I'm going to give it a go at your formula here. So this is how I, I read it. So it's EM, which is empathy, plus N, which is nurturing, plus I2, which is inclusivity, inclusivity and intuition plus g and that's all ca catalyzed by co which is collaboration and that equals a beautiful product that will earn you money wow you're so good <laughs> yeah this is my formula you could be a chemist <laughs> so let's start with empathy because again we've touched on this as well and maybe Please feel free to hover in between your stories that you've mentioned in the book. For example, your own shower gel product and, and how empathy played a role. I really enjoyed that part when you talked about that with collaboration. And I'll remind you of those little aspects later on. But let's talk about empathy because really, if you look at any book on innovation today and product development, it would never work without empathy. Empathy is a key skill in design thinking. It's a key skill in focus groups done right. But over to you to explain your version of empathy. Definitely empathy, as you know, is not new. Okay? I don't say anything new. I'm just putting it in a, in a new context here, in a different context. Um, empathy, and you can jump right away, which is obvious to the customer. If you don't have empathy for the customer, again, we saw if a man designs a product for women and has empathy, he can design the best product because he can really understand her deep needs and be in her shoes, really empathy, walking in some, somebody's shoes. So this is very important, but empathy doesn't stop here. 
And, and a lot has, uh, has been said on that. I want to emphasize more empathy for your colleagues. This is very important. Different functions. Usually, I know, I'm from R&D. When I moved to marketing, they told me, ooh, you're going to the enemy? I said, what are you talking about? They're our partners. Same thing. Oh, I will, I will ask legal. Oh, no, no, legal. They say, they are our partners. They are here to protect us. If you explain to them what we are trying to achieve, we'll be together. So empathy for the other functions, what they are going through. And empathy for our bosses too. And I'm the first culprit because I was so driven by innovation and pushing for this project. I had to understand that my boss is not to report to Wall Street and that, yeah, it was important, but they had other things to, to deal with. So empathy is really for the entire ecosystem, for the customer, of course, but also for your partners, for your external partners. I worked years in external innovation where we were looking for technologies to bring in, and usually it was from startups or inventors, so very, very small structures that we were bringing um, into the big, giant, you know, corporation. Uh, and you have to have empathy for those guys. This technology they develop is their life. And so you have to understand that. So there is a, there are a lot of examples of the value of empathy in the entire ecosystem. And the last one and most important one, especially these days, we're talking a lot about it, is empathy for mother nature. Today, we develop products and then we say, ooh, it's hurting the planet. What can we do? And then we re-engineer and try to cut things. And so it doesn't work like that. Why don't we create products and services where nature, the environment is taken into account from the get-go, from the very beginning. So you start to develop something that is not, that is designed to not hurt the planet and the environment instead of trying to correct it afterwards. So to me, this is the entire power and value of empathy. It's huge. And it starts there. Throughout the book as well, Fabian, you share practices that we can take home and work on. So we won't go into all of them today because there's about six at the end of each chapter for all six of the skills. But maybe we'll share a couple of the ones on empathy because I thought these were particularly interesting. Again, whether you be a parent trying to encourage empathy, particularly for me, I have two boys trying to encourage empathy in them or in yourself trying to encourage more empathy. Try to put your really yourself in the shoes of the others. And I have this anecdote of, uh, remember, we were trying to develop an oral care line for senior people who have uh, some, some issues. And I partnered with a company and they had this suit that was mimicking the effects of aging. Okay, so with the arthritis thing, it was like a, a suit and also the Googles and, and, and it was really mimicking the effects of aging. So a young marketing person said, oh, okay, I will try it. And, and you know, as, as, a, as a demonstration, so she was, she volunteered for that. She put into this and she performed oral care and so on. And then at the end, she was getting out of the suit and we were ready to ask her questions. And she was taking a lot, long time to get out of the suit. And then she turned to us. She was crying. And we say, what's happening? She said, oh, well, I've been bullying my grandmother, telling her that she could do that. And she had just wanted to do it and so on. I didn't realize that she could not. And she had experienced firsthand being in the skin of an older person what it was. So it's really try to have the experience. Go when you develop products for people, go into their environment, go where they live, live with them, live like them. And when 
also, and this is not what I'm, I'm something I'm very good at, but listen, 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 because it's so easy to jump in. And I beat my tongue a lot of times. I say, you know, a friend of mine lost her dad and she's in France. And so we jump on the phone and I almost said, oh, I understand what you are going through because I lost my dad and son. And then I bit my tongue. I say, Fabian, listen. And I listen to her and I ask questions. So a very good way, a very simple way to understand and have empathy for another person, just ask questions, simple questions. So how her family was doing, how they're doing, how they're coping and so on. And she's the one after a while who said, well, Fabian, you will understand me because you have been through that. But she's the one who said it. I didn't volunteer it. So I le I'm learning, you know, I'm learning and I'm evolving every day and learning my own lessons and trying to apply them. So th this is how you can practice empathy. Listen, question, and really make an effort at living in the world of the other person virtually. Um, actually, augmented reality or this is a great way, a great way to put yourself in the shoes of the others. So there are a lot of technologies now besides just going and, and living with this person for a couple of days. I say this to people in my workshops all the time about communication. I go, I could have saved myself so many arguments if somebody had taught me this before just to listen and acknowledge that somebody else is going through a crappy time trying to stop trying to hijack their moment and kind of go what a, you know this happened to me let me try and fix it for you etc and and having that empathy is so important but you tell us there's neuroscientific reasons for that as well we're, we're wired differently and men want to fix no absolutely and this is all this story between the gray matter and the white matter and so on but actually just to make sure it's very clear there is no really there is a female and a male brain but our brains are more similar than they are different. You have some significant and statistically significant differences between men and women. So one is the use of gray matter versus white matter. And gray matter is like the focus, the action, and the white matter is more connecting the dots. Okay, so this is a different approach to your point. This explains why. And then you have the, of course, the uh, chemicals. So the testosterone, which is really uh, more aggressive, more action again, versus the uh, oxytocin, which is the bonding, the love hormone and so on, which is more present in, in women and so on. But the beauty is that our brains are your unique patch of male and female patches. It's a mosaic. It's really a mosaic of these all different patches and it's very unique. And to your point, the brain plasticity is huge. So we can learn and at any time we can learn new skills, we can change things. And this is why the environment is so important and nature versus nurture. And for a lot of skills, for example, intuition, we're, we're jumping there, huh? <laughs> intuition, which is called feminine by default, because it's a frou-frou, it's not very serious intuition. Intuition is actually not really feminine. It's, we can all use intuition, but culturally, he's been labeled feminine, which is wrong. Because Steve Jobs was the best intuitor in the world and he has nothing feminine, okay? But this intuition is really when you have a lot of knowledge and our brain, you know, gathers a lot of data and a lot of knowledge. When you have all that in your brain, intuition is just connecting the dots into something new. And this is what the beauty of it. 
And you can do that by sleeping eight hours, by resting, by stopping, not going into burnout because you will not be effective. And so respecting our brains and, and our brains are fantastic. And we don't even know all is happening there. But we know the plasticity. We know that we can learn. We can, yes, we have some differences between male and female, but it's not that big. It's not that big. And we can really rewire the brain. One of my hats that I wear is uh, executive coaching for CEOs, particularly when it comes to when they're trying to lean into more innovation aspects of their roles. And I, I thought about this only while reading your book was where if you think about most people in leadership roles, they're usually executing. And if you're only executing, and you've been in your role for a very long time, you, you have a very limited worldview, you don't see wider, you don't see what your customers are doing, etc, etc. You may have reports and data, but the map is not the territory that does not mean that that's what's happening on the ground. But then on top of that, if you don't explore, and you're constantly in this exploit mode, you don't learn anything you and you can't collect any information to be intuitive. And I say all that say because you think about your story, and maybe I'll share this about when you came up with your business innovive.com. And I want to say that because on top of that, there's lots of resources on the site as well that you kindly offer and all the information there about your workshops, etc. But this was like I've written a book I've sent you before coming on air and like you so many times waking up at two or three in the morning and jotting down stuff that just comes to you through your intuition but it was from collecting it in the first place if you don't collect it there's no dots to collect it's absolutely true this is why it's linked to data but when you just follow the data you go into what we call the analysis paralysis and you can gather so many data, and, and, and you have the data, and some data contradict others, and so on. Sometimes it's just like, let it settle. Do you know fifteen minutes of yoga? Let your brain do its job. It knows what to do, and we have to. And it's not when we say listen to the guts. Actually, it's not. It, it's all linked anyway. But it's not that. It's not this. Oh, I woke up and I thought over that. No, no. When I woke up with Innovive the name, <laughs> it was because I had done years or course of experience, but also months of research about what would be my next step. And I'm a scientist again. So I have my Excel sheet with all the possibilities, <laughs> all I could do. And, you know, and connect again, connecting the dots. And what came up was innovation because it's my passion, challenging the statu quo and trying to make a better world and the feminine that I have been missing in my life and I was experiencing and enjoying now that I'm older and I wanted to, to put that back all together into something that makes sense. And this is how it was born. But it was not born like, oh, I thought of that. And no, 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 the, uh, the apple, that no, 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 no. The haha moment is not that. The haha moment is that when your brain does the job for you, if you allow your brain to do it and not in an override and always scrolling through social media and doing a lot of things and let it breathe. There's a quote by Peter Drucker, and he said that to do something new, you have to stop doing something old. And I always think about that, like one of the first questions I asked executive teams is, what are you going to stop doing to be able to do this to be able to innovate? Because there's something you're, do you're at capacity. And 
firstly, you need a new information source. And sometimes that's a consultant coming in with new information and sharing that new information to spark new thinking. But other than that, that's only going to last for a while. You need to create new habits throughout an organization. It's a mindset, to your point. It's a mindset. Innovation, again, is this buzzword. Everybody was, oh, I have innovation. But innovation is a mindset. It's not only tools and processes. Of course, you need that. You need the structure. But the most important is the mindset in the entire company, from the C-suite to the people in the field. You need to have this mindset. And it has to be accepted and taking risks and fail. <laughs> we talked about nature, but nurture is really important because we see this all the time. So many ideas get killed prematurely in organizations. They're not nurtured because innovation by its very nature has a different timeline. It takes longer to figure things out, especially if it's a legacy organization who's already created products and has a repeatable, reliable revenue stream from those progress. And then you kind of go, here's a new idea. And they kind of go, when will it be profitable? And they kill it too early. And I love this concept you were talking about, the very feminine aspect of nurturing. And it, it a, ni a really nice thing has happened in the last while. My son, the, he's nine, he's got into planting seeds. And it's been lovely to watch him nurture them. And he goes, you know, those little water misters, he goes out with his water mister and he's like, I'm going to water the plants. And, and he's just seeing them grow. And because he's seen he's related, the fact that he's been nurturing them with their progress. It's just it's beautiful to see that in motion. And again, serendipity strikes, I was reading your book while I was spotting this mo moment. And I was like, that's nurturing, but it's a very f feminine skill. Yeah, it is a nurturing skill, but it's more, yeah, and it is, it is in the brain. We, ho again, have more oxytocin and, um, and we have more empathy naturally and, and more nurturing. Yes, we do. But it's not that feminine and it's not, you uh, know, the motherly thing. It's, I don't have kids, but I'm very nurturing. So, you know, it's not linked to. No, when I I was looking for for my workshop at one point, I was looking for images for nurturing. And when you do that, you have like the mother and the baby and son. This is not only that. This is too limiting. Nurturing is is bigger than than that. So nurturing is really about growing, helping, guiding, and it's really linked, of course, to educating a, a kid. But you touch it. To me, my best way to nurture is to garden. I love to garden. But when you garden, you have really to protect against, you know, the insects, the, 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 have some squirrels that I uh, love, <laughs> really love my plants. Um, and to help grow, you can guide, you can cut, you can trim, you can, yeah, and nurture and, and feed and feed, feed with water, with sun, with uh, love also. And so, so it's, it's, it's a lot of, helping grow. And this is perfect for ideas. As you have said, so many ideas are so fragile when they were born. Take this lady who in the group said, oh, my way to relax at the end of the day is to have a glass of wine. <laughs> Everybody's there and dismissing. I said, no, 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 no. There is something here. How can we make that stupid idea somewhere work for this shower? How can we tweak it? How can we nurture it? into something that makes sense for the business and for this category. And this is how it happened. Everybody chiming in and developing something that made sense. But in another context, it would have been in a business context. Oh, yeah, so we don't talk about wine here. You see what I mean? So it's so easy to just discard what is strange 
And instead of saying, hmm, why did she say that? There is a good reason. Why don't we explore that further? Why don't we nurture it? Why don't we put it and, 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 and look at it under different angles and feed it with other people chiming in or, or, or tweaking in and so on, uh, which goes also into collaboration. So this is why nurturing is so, so important. Nurture these ideas so that, and also nurturing is bringing together, you know, some little ideas that may be stupid or insignificant separately you bring them all together into something bigger and i love that you talked about that nurturing together as well because that that's this is one of the major skills that you displayed with the shower gel project as well and when we talk about the catalyst which is collaboration in a second we'll really see that come to life but the next one may surprise people and it's something that i i try to practice i am not always as religious as i should be with this but this is gratitude the practice of gratitude and this may surprise people why the heck has that got anything to do with innovation they might ask and i asked the question myself because as i said at the beginning when i selected those six traits and i had a lot in competition <laughs> and gratitude was not the top one to be honest and i was like yeah gratitude but why and i started to think about it and then I said, yeah, I had examples where I saw that gratitude was a big proponent for innovation. And this was in those groups you know, where we were working together. And when we were working together, we were creating the concept together, the formula. Together. Everybody was, was working together on all the aspects. And what happened is that some, when we developed the concept, some scientists said, wow, I didn't realize it was so difficult to create a concept. I thought it was like, you know, writing some words. Then when we went to prototyping for the night to uh, to show consumers a prototype and the chemists were, you know, doing all And the marketer, marketing person was like, oh, I didn't realize you had so many steps and it was so complicated to just do a small sample. So what happened then? They were grateful for the other function. They were grateful for the work that the others did. And being grateful for that, it was totally a totally different ambiance. Then suddenly the marketer didn't ask for a sample for yesterday because they understood what it took. And then the, um, the scientist was saying, oh, the concept I understand that they they really spend a lot of time thinking about each word and I and, and this is important. So it created really this understanding and this gratitude for the work done by another person to bring that to the team. And I found that extremely, extremely powerful. And I say this little anecdote, somebody in the team had the idea to uh to have this little um wooden uh tokens shaped like a heart with thank you. And when something was done well in the team, they would just give a thank you. And I remember this scientist and she was like radiant and she has this pile of, you know, little hot tokens on her desk. And it was gratitude from the others for what she had done. So gratitude really is, is a, um, the cement, the glue in the team that allows, again, collaboration to be able to uh, kick in. Gratitude is the cement collaboration is the catalyst that brings it all together this just is uh, the chemical reaction happens because of collaboration and I really from reading the book I really felt that's what you did particularly well in this and I want to remind 
maybe you'll wrap it around this anecdote, this story that you tell in this in the book, which is because we've all been there. You're asked to put a team together, a, a team from different parts of the organization, and sometimes those people aren't asked, they're voluntold, <laughs> they're, they're told that they need to be part, they're on secondment, whatever it might be. And they might treat it like, Oh, my God, I have to go down to the innovation team. And Oh, well, you know what, I'll just take it easy there. And at least I'll get to inbox zero, I'll clear my inbox. So they go with this reluctance. And as the leader of a team like that, well, actually, I'll strike the word leader, because you say, in a true innovation team, there is no leader. It's a self-organizing body of people. But you, you showed huge empathy here with a colleague who was extremely reluctant, almost destructive to the team. And instead of what many of us might be inclined to do, which is jump in and give out to them or give out to their boss and go, I don't want Aiden in my team. He's a bit of a jackass you went with a different approach. And, and this is what you often see, isn't it those type of people, it's like Carl Jung's work about the psychology is like, oftentimes, you can find some value in those people who are the most difficult in your life. It talks to um, one of the traits we skipped, which is inclusivity. So inclusivity, when we think inclusivity, of course, there is gender. This is one of the topics of the book, obviously, this feminine and masculine. You have culture, you have race, you have a, yeah, you have, but it's very limited to the usual suspects. And as I said, I want to talk about neuroplasticity, the, the, the neuro differences, neurological differences, and having autism, uh, autist people in a team brings a lot of value because they think differently. They are wired differently. And this is very, so everything which is this, so different social context and backgrounds, age, oh my God, ageism. When you know you age, okay, you're just, no, actually the white matter increases when you age. Yes, the gray matter de decreases, but the white connecting the dots increases. So having young and old people in a team is fantastic. So inclusivity is bigger than just, you know, the color of the skin and the accent and the, uh, and, and, and the gender. It's really going beyond. And this anecdote was linked to the differences in thinking. And so I put this team together, as I said, and usually people volunteered. Um, but at the beginning, it was new, and they didn't know what it was, and it's something above and beyond their current job. So I talked to them, and I talked to their bosses to see, is it okay if they come, and so on. And so we negotiated, and people came together, but they were very happy to experiment something new, and they liked the way I worked with people, so they were here. One guy in marketing, because this process was four days in a remote location, and really working all together, and like like a, we call the hot groups here. We are focused on that one, just doing that for four days. And he was like, oh, I will not, you know, waste four days, you know, so important that I have other things to do. No, 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 it's a waste of time and so on. And so I just went to him and I said, okay, listen, just come the first day. And if you don't like it, you feel, feel free to go. But I really would love for you to experiment and have your point of view. And he said, okay, I can do that for, for a day. So he comes the first day and we had a rule. 
because it was so intense. It was like 7 a.m. until 10 p.m. and with the consumers and so on. So it, it was very, very intense. And we had a rule that we had a big basket in, in the middle of the, the room, in the middle of the table, and, and we would just put our phones there. And then we had breaks where people could, of course, some emergencies and necessary calls. But during the time we were together, the phones were not allowed. So it was the end of the first day. And I saw that guy take the phone and start to text. So I came to him and nicely, but firmly, I said, oh, come on. You know, you cannot do that. And he smiled and he told me, hold on. I'm texting my boss that actually I will stay for the four days because I really like it and he's going somewhere. I wanted to hug him. He was so great. But, you know, he, he had experienced that. And, and being, of course, as I said, if you have only people who don't want to be there, it will not work. But when you sprinkle those people who are not really very, you know, positive, but mold into the process and with the other people, and he was so enthusiastic and it was working, actually, in terms of business, that he was convinced. And after that, he was my first... <laughs> A proponent for the process. He was selling the process to everybody because he really liked it. But also during the, the four days, he brought a different perspective because he was not thinking as us and he was more critical and we need a critical view. So this is, this is the point of inclusivity, diversity, bringing the right environment so that collaboration can happen. And collaboration, when you put all that together and really collaborate with, and collaboration is really not teamwork. As I said, you can be assigned to a team and say, I do my job and then I get, no, no. Collaboration is really going to towards something bigger together with a vision and bringing your own skills towards this vision, but you own the vision. And at the end of the process, everybody was owning the prototype and defending it. Um, you know, versus the, oh, yeah, but it could be that. No, no, I was there. The consumers were there. We picked that hue, that color because of the consumer. And there is a good reason for that. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And one last thing on collaboration, because this is important. You mentioned this as well, is that in in English, it's too many cooks spoil the broth. In French, it's throw the cuisinier gat la sauce in French, right? And it's like, well... Collaboration has a dark side as well, because you can have too many people involved, and that can lead to an absolute mess as well. Maybe you'll share because you've you've experienced this as well, which I love the fact that a you're a chemist, you've you've done this work, you've understood it, you're you're a scientist, and you've brought that world in, into R and D, and you've used all these human skills to bring a product into the world. The point is that you have to have the right people. It's not even the number, but it's, it's the right people to the, the, the team. Because, And also, once you say, these are the cooks, you don't have another chef coming and say, oh, yeah, but I don't like that. You know, This is where I think too many cooks can spoil the, the broth. You delegate people. This is this innovation team. They are doing the job and you trust them. And trust is another good one. And you trust them. And this is where collaboration is very important. You have to trust the others. I have your back. Okay. So you trust the others and you trust that team to do a great job. And you don't come after that saying, oh yeah, but I'm the boss and I think we should change it or do that. Also. Then everybody has a different opinion and, it, and it's a mess. And you destroy the beauty of the original idea. 
So it comes also with nurturing. You have to nurture the idea. You have to nurture this prototype. You have to protect that prototype because a lot of people around will want to kill it and, and put their own print. Oh, I think that if we... This is actually what happened in some of our, our projects where you know some people say, oh, yeah, but you know... This this visual is not good. Well, I want that. So, well, this is what was really coming from the consumers who have experienced the product and from the entire team who has been working on that for months. So then you have arguments to say that this is where you have to have a limited amount of people who are really involved. And then, of course, it's open for criticism, but constructive criticism instead of wanting to just put your print on the project. Throughout the book, Fabian interviews many, many people to bring these skills to life, to emphasize points, etc. And one of those was a beautiful interview with Pat Roque. And you summarized it in your interview. And I'm going to share this because I absolutely love this. This is going to be my closing quote, because I, I really do believe in this harmonizing of the energies. And it's, it's not new. This has been it goes right back to ancient times, the importance of this in Eastern traditions, etc. The yin and yang, etc. Are, are so important. And it's so important more than ever in innovation, as Fabian says, but the quote is as follows. And Fabian, I'm going to quote this. But I wanted you to close today's show. So I'll let you think about what your closing message is for our audience while I'm going to quote this. But before I even start that, I mentioned your website already, but where can people find you for consultation, for keynotes, to find your book, to find the tools and resources that you have, etc.? The website is www.innovive.com, which is Innov, I-N-N-O-V-E-V-E, Innov and Eve.com. I was showing you beforehand my pin today. <laughs> Which was beautiful. I had a, I had Eve in the Garden of Eden. Like, how the heck? I'm such a nerd. I had one of those in my box of uh, pins as well. So it was perfect that I had that to celebrate you on today's show. So the quote I loved is as follows. And then I'm going to hand it over to you. The feminine traits for leadership apply to innovation. The humility to know that we are not supposed to be great at everything individually, but our collective team should be. So... The more that we can shine the light on the gifts and genius of others, the more that we can live and come from a place of gratitude, and the more we can collaborate and nurture with empathy. I thought that was beautiful because it brings all the skills together that you talk about in the book. What about you, Fabienne? What's your final message for our audience today? Be sure you're your own self and you leverage all these beautiful brain patches that are unique to you, bring your unique gift to this world of innovation. And don't shy away, don't be a clone. Just, you know, put your skills and your specific skills in front of, give them as a gift to the others to bring something better together. We cannot, this is a big world and it's getting very complicated with the technology we're gonna do things alone the Marie Curie the uh, doesn't exist anymore and even those guys were in teams by the way but just be um, part of this big story that the young people especially are building and I'm very proud of that and I'm actually creating a video course based on the book uh, to help the young generation innovate their future and the future of our world. And it's called Smart Rebel, how to innovate your future. And this is this is my message, is the young generation, you, they have all, 
all the tools they can they can do anything they want and they do it they're doing it how many teenagers uh, have started have changed things challenge us and so on. and this is beautiful so just do it go with your guts go with your intuition be your own self leverage your feminine don't be humble be vulnerable this is beautiful you don't know it fine you know ask and move on don't try to you know i say success is not about money or fame or the number of followers Success is about being true to yourself, to who you really are, and bring this unique gift to the world. C'est un super bon fin. Author of Venus Genius, <laughs> The Female Prescription for Innovation, Fabienne Jacquet. Merci bien. Avec plaisir. Anytime. As always, thank you to Zai, boldly transforming the future of financial services with a suite of embedded products and services, enabling businesses to manage multiple payment workflows and move funds with ease. Check out Zai at hellozai.com and I'll see you soon.